I'm honored to be serving each of you for the upcoming term, and I want to thank all of you who are able to join us both in person and virtually via Facebook Live today. Will you please stand and remain standing as Patrick Talley comes to the podium to give our invocation and pledge. Good afternoon, everyone. Please join me in invocation. Dear Lord, we are thankful for this day that you have given us, the first luncheon of a brand new Rotary year. We pray that you strengthen our club president and the members of her board to lead us with intelligence, grace, compassion, and most of all, the wisdom of Solomon. May we, uh, may we appreciate and use each day that comes to us to its fullest possible potential. As we gather here today, as members of the Rotaract Club of Birmingham, we pray that we are ever mindful of opportunities to render our service to our fellow citizens and our community. May we be challenged to give our best at all times, and may we be assured of your never-ending presence with us. Amen. Please join me with the pledge. I pledge of allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, Patrick. I'd now like to ask Yvonne Taunton, our Vice President of Membership Recruitment, to the lower podium to welcome our guests. Hi, everyone, and welcome to all of our guests. Um, as I say your name, please stand and remain standing as we introduce you. Um, Kristen Cunningham and David Glenn. Welcome. Thank you, Yvonne, and welcome again to all of our guests. I want to start by first thanking all of you who joined us last luncheon, again, both in person and virtually, to celebrate the hard work of Henry Joe and the 2019-2020 Board of Directors. Many thanks to the annual meeting chairs and committee for their hard work pulling off our first in-person event in over three months. And speaking of in-person events, I also want to emphasize to you all that our board, alongside the staff at the Harbert Center, is actively monitoring the ongoing health situation and will continue to take all the necessary precautions to keep our club members and their guests safe. I ask that you continue to bear with us as in-person luncheons and events may shift to virtual events as needed. The safety and health of our club and our community will continue to be the priority. At our annual meeting last luncheon, we introduced this stellar board of directors to you all. This group of 11 people, while only nine days officially on the job, have been hard at work over the last several months planning an outstanding year for our club. Despite having to pivot our goals and logistics due to the pandemic, I wanted to start off by celebrating the hard work our board has already put into this year. First, Yvonne Taunton and her recruitment, her recruitment team have been hard at work reviewing applications for our July class, which was delayed a whole month due to, the, due to the pandemic. We're excited to welcome our new members in late July. Those new members will be onboarding virtually this year, with Jessica Poor and her new member onboarding team providing support and mentorship in innovative and engaging ways. 
On the Learn, Socialize, and Serve front, Sarah Brackman has procured a diverse and exciting list of speakers for this year, covering a vast array of topics that will help keep our quarantined brains stimulated and constantly developing. Kurt Key and his social squad have already knocked their first social out of the park as we learned last night about the history and intricacies of tequila, thanks to the expertise at Maya Well Bar. We're looking forward to staying socially connected while staying socially distant this term. Nick White and his service ambassadors are offering a new way to commit to service opportunities this year. We are excited to feature monthly service partners that will take time to learn about, serve with, and provide our members with the opportunity to commit to their organization long term. We're asking each of you this year to take time to commit to a service opportunity that can depend on you throughout the year. We're here to help you find your passion. If your passion is education, Brad Jennings and the Signature Service team are already hard at work planning both ready to read and ready to succeed in Birmingham City Schools. In a year where now, more than ever, the mentorship and encouragement of our club members will be critical to the success of our students. Jonathan Murphy and the finance team have been behind the scenes making the money magic happen. Members, you will receive an invoice for your dues this month that will continue to ensure the fiscal strength of our organization. And last but not least, Susan Shields and her communications team continue to provide our club members with all the information needed to connect with each other and with opportunities that this year holds. I also want to remind our members that Slack is the best way to stay connected and engage with our membership during these socially distant times. Our 11 board of directors, 50 chairs, and over 300 members are actively engaging on Slack every day. As an exercise of its power, today we are taking attendance a little bit differently, so please take out your phones if you're in person or if you're joining us virtually, and mark your participation uh, in the club channel. We have a poll going where you can easily mark that you're here in person watching us virtually live today or tuning in later. And she doesn't know I'm saying this, but if you have any trouble connecting to Slack, please see Susan Shields. <laughs> so, okay, good. As you can see, there's a ton going on behind the scenes of our organization, and we need your help to continue this work. Our survey to join a committee will be opening up this week. Please reach out to any of this good-looking board of directors if you have questions about their committees or are interested in helping out this year. In keeping with the theme this year of opening opportunities for our members, providing leadership development opportunities is a top priority for our club under our strategic plan. We are excited to announce that our leadership development program, led this year by Cayman Cavan and Amy Thomas, will begin accepting applicants in August for its 2020-2021 class of participants. Eight of our current board members are graduates of our LDP program, which focuses on developing leadership skills that are applicable both in Rotaract and in your profession. The highlight of LDP is our professional partners program, which pairs our members with members of the Downtown Rotary Club of Birmingham. Personally, I have a wonderful friendship now with my professional partner, Barbara Burton, who has been an incredible encouragement to me both professionally and personally over the past few years. Participants also have the opportunity to contribute to the future of the club by participating in a year-long project. Last year's LDP class conducted a deep dive into our member engagement in service opportunities and developed the new framework in which Nick White and the service ambassadors are leading with this year. We will have a mini-program on LDP at our next luncheon, but please reach out to Cayman or Amy if you have any questions in the meantime. As a reminder, each week, the Rotary Club of Birmingham provides 10 comped luncheon spots to our club. 
Due to the pandemic, we've been joining in virtually to hear from their amazing lineup of speakers, led this year by President John Blankenship and his board. Just yesterday, we heard from the legendary Charles Barkley, former American basketball player and a Tell It Like It Is Auburn fan. Roll Tide. Sorry, Charles. It was a great time with many one-liners. When asked about his future career aspirations, Sir Charles said, I'm in the back nine of my life. I'm just trying to play golf and fish, which TBH was a whole mood. It was a joy to hear him speak. This next week, Rotary has secured US Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. If you are interested in joining, Rotary luncheons are held at 12 p.m. every Wednesday. Contact Berkeley Bryan to reserve one of our comp spots or tune in virtually to the Zoom link posted in Slack. And now for our Learn, Socialize, Serve announcements. Our next luncheon is Thursday, July 23rd. The, next, the lunch will feature the president of Rev Birmingham, David Fleming. Don't miss this opportunity to learn about Birmingham's only accelerator program for local entrepreneurs. Please contact Yvonne Taunton if you plan to bring a guest. We had a great time at last night's virtual social with MyoWell, but if you, didn't make, if you didn't make it, you still have another chance to socialize with Rotaract this month. Mark your calendars for our food tasting at Safe Room Lounge Bar on Monday, July 20th. This event is open only to members and spots are limited due to the social distancing. Contact Kurt Key with questions. We are excited to announce our inaugural service partner for the month of July. This month, we're partnering with, Southern, with the Southern Environmental Center to help restore the North Birmingham ecospace. The SEC operates the ecospace program, which has, been expanded, which has been expanded to surrounding communities and utilizes local artwork to illustrate organic gardening practices, offer outdoor classrooms, and offer urban neighborhoods a pocket of green space for rest and recreation. You'll have two chances to help, one on July 18th and the other on July 25th. Again, spots are limited due to social distancing, so be sure to register online to secure your spot. Please contact Nick White with questions. At this time, I would like to introduce our head table. We have a smaller group uh, at the head table this year to adhere to best practices for social distancing standards. As I call your name, please stand and remain standing until we introduce the entire head table. Each week, we ask a different fun question to the head table related to the speaker to, ask, to learn more about our fellow members. This week, we asked, why did you choose to both live and serve in Birmingham? Giving our invocation and pledge today is Patrick Talley, who is an account supervisor at O2 Ideas. Patrick is the 2020-2021 Strategic Plan Co-Chair. He previously served as the club's Vice President of Public Relations for the 2018-2019 term. Patrick said, Birmingham is truly a magic city. There are a lot of beautiful sights, attractions, and diverse people to learn about and meet. I have personally enjoyed seeing the city's growth over the past few years and believe that, the millennials, that millennials will be the key to the city's ultimate success. I agree. Introducing our speakers today, speaker today is Susan Shields, who is the program director at Leadership Birmingham. Susan is the 2020-2021 Vice President of Public Relations, and she was the e-newsletter chair for the previous three years, and we finally got her to run for the board. <laughs> Susan said, Birmingham is the perfect size. It's big enough that it has all of the fun entertainment options for restaurants, hiking trails, awesome concerts, and more. But it's small enough that you can make a difference and be involved no matter where you are in your career. Absolutely. And with that, please give our head table a round of applause as Susan comes to the podium to introduce our speaker. I'm so thrilled today to be able to introduce my friend, Mashonda Taylor. 
Mashonda and I met eight years ago when we were sorting through donations for the Junior League's Bargain Carousel. She had just started her role at the Woodlawn Foundation, and I just started mine at Leadership Birmingham. We bonded over our discussions about the city and how we could better our communities, and also about the challenges in working at small nonprofits with very strong female bosses, who we very much like. <laughs> Throughout the years of our friendship, I've come to learn some things about Mashana that you won't read in her bio, like how deeply she cares, not just about her family and friends, but she cares about the people she serves, the residents in Woodlawn, the families and volunteers in the Junior League, the students at Jones Valley Teaching Farm. She always speaks up in any room that you put her in. She speaks her truth and shares her thoughts in a way that draws people in, leaving space for the conversation to grow. And she's a supporter. She genuinely believes that if we lift up one person, we lift up everyone. I'm so thankful she's in my corner, and I'm so grateful she's here to speak to us today. Please join me in welcoming Mashonda Taylor. Wow. Okay, I'm gonna get you. Oh my God. <laughs> Hi, good afternoon. Okay, y'all gotta give me way more energy than this. Like, I know there's used to having like, what, 200 people in this room. You guys are gotta give me some energy, because this is not good. So, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay, much better. Um, First and foremost, I want to say thank you for having me uh, today. Uh, it's actually been an interesting few months, uh, to say the least. When I started my position, I was hired on March 1st. March 13th sent my team home uh, because of COVID-19, and we have been serving tirelessly in the Woodlawn community virtually and trying to figure out ways how do we serve within our community and serve the residents of Woodlawn and give them everything that they need, but also uh, looking at what are the tools and the things that they can be successful for themselves. Um, I want to acknowledge and say thank you to the new incoming board. Um, I know this is hard. Uh, leadership is hard in itself, but leaders show up in times like this. So I just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing, um, figuring out the ways and pivoting, trying to figure out what is what does virtual look like, right? We are, we are in a new normal. And we have the opportunity and the ability to enact change in our city. And I, I don't want us to look at it as a negative thing. I want us to look at it as something that's positive and that we can shift the narrative of what our city is now and what we want it to be. So when we say millennials are going to change our city, I believe in that wholeheartedly. So I want to say thank you in advance for the work that you're doing. One, even for being here. Um, and to my friend Susan, oh my God, now introduction, hello. Um, I'm taking you everywhere um, with me. Um, Susan's right. We met eight years ago, uh, and we, I remember that there was a conversation that we had. It was at Urban Standard, which we've got to figure out a way to bring Urban Standard back. Yes. Anyway, that's where all of us have met up. That's been our mecca. We've got to figure out a way to bring that back. But I remember that conversation and the, the love that I've had for her since that day. And we have worked not only in the Junior League, but leadership, uh, working with Leadership Birmingham as I've come to Woodlawn and telling our story, because it's a, it's a truthful story. Um, about what's happening not only in the Woodlawn community, across our city, across our state, across our country. So I didn't do my homework when it came to like, why did I pick Birmingham? So I figured I'd put that within my presentation. Um, at the end of the day, you look at Birmingham right now and where we've been. We've been the source and center of movements, the civil rights movement, um, everything when it comes to other cities, they've looked at Birmingham and the world has always continued to watch us. 
So I don't want you to take that lightly. I want you to understand that you are positioned and seated, whatever role you are, whatever company, whatever board you sit on, Birmingham needs your voice. And I know, I laughed when Susan's like, yeah, I do speak up at tables because there, are, there were times when I wasn't allotted the opportunity to be at a table and I don't take that lightly. And it's not only that I sit at a table, but I also bring people along with me. So when I see that you guys are bringing people into this room and having conversations and giving them access, because that's, that's a big piece of the work that we do, we bring access to a community and, and to people that might not have ever had the opportunity before. So that's why Birmingham. We, we are not Charlotte, we are not Atlanta, we are not Nashville, and I don't want us to be. I want us to be Birmingham. And I think when we figure out what is our role in this, where do we sit in this, we get to decide that at the tables now. I look at my, my counterparts that are coming into leadership now. You've got Dion Gordon at Tech Birmingham, young leadership. Katrina Watson at the Literacy Council. Like, you've got all of these amazing leaders sitting in position that have never been able to do that before. And now we're here at the table moving in positioning. So when I think about Woodlawn, um, Woodlawn is special to me. Um, not because, you know, a lot of people ask me, they're like, well, were you, I, I was born in Birmingham, but I wasn't raised in Woodlawn. You know, I'm a military kid. I lived all over the country and had the opportunity to see many different mindsets and perspectives and worldviews. And I travel a lot, one, because I like to travel, but two, it's because I like to meet different types of people and understand where, what are the mechanisms and what are the things that are happening in their communities and take the best practices, even the things that are bad, and figure out ways that we can bring the models and the tools uh, to our community. So when I think about Birmingham and it being home, it represents family for me because my grandmother is here. I was here every summer from the time I was born. When we moved in and out of the city, I was here. And I know every single nook and cranny of this city. I, like, I, I know some of y'all were pretty upset when the, uh, the highway was shut down in the middle of the city. I wasn't because I knew how to get around. Um, but I just, I have a, an appreciation for our neighborhoods and for our communities. And I really believe, and as, as my friend T. Marie King said, she said, the answer, it resides and lives within our communities. And so instead of us in these rooms having conversations amongst ourselves, we have to be proximate to the situations and the issues that are happening amongst us and around us. So getting into our model and why now, uh, we, we follow a purpose-built communities model, and it's built out of a model that existed uh, with the community of Eastlake in Atlanta. Um, historically, um, it was a thriving community. They built a huge uh, housing uh, development, or public housing development there, and it seemed like it would be opportunity for the families, and it turned out not to be. Uh, eventually, uh, blighted, uh, crime started to be pervasive throughout the community, and it was a 700 uh, person or 700 family unit. And at the end of the day, there was no opportunity there. I think the, the annual income was $1,100. The annual income. So when you think about models, uh, what, what Purpose Built did, uh, they created the East Lake Foundation. So first and foremost, they defined the neighborhood. It was the East Lake community. So that's Woodlawn for us. Uh, and they, the model exists because there has to be a community quarterback. So when we were doing the work back in 2010, 
We were having conversations with other partners and community partners that were in Woodlawn before we were. The YW was there, um, and, and they built up probably 50 or 60 units of housing, affordable housing there already. They had uh, Interfaith was there, and when it came down to it, uh, the community was on the precipice of, of becoming something different. And all of the residents wanted change and opportunity to happen. So we started convening partners, uh, having conversations with the Neighborhood Association, because that's the most important piece. And I have, if, you, if you don't hear anything else that I say today, the relationship that we have with our residents in our community, that is the reason why we exist to this day. Um, so as the community quarterback, and there's a reason why we say community quarterback, uh, it is our role to be the vision keepers for Woodlawn. So when we say that we want our, our residents to have uh, opportunity and thriving uh, jobs, the acts and feeling of safety within our communities, green spaces, whatever that is, it's our role to make sure that that happens. And so we convene our partners and they're all doing the work. We're not a direct service provider. And a lot of people are like, well, wait a minute, how do y'all do this? Like, what, what is your role? Our role is like the conductor. We make sure that everybody's doing the work. We collect the data. We provide capacity building opportunities. We convene people all the time, just trying to make sure that everybody is in lockstep, uh, working towards the common goal, and that is the elimination of generational poverty within our community. So th the way that we do that, we order and work in three different ways. We're building out a mixed income housing strategy. We know that the concentration of poverty is, cannot exist in our communities. And that's what we're seeing play out in COVID now when you're looking at public housing communities and they're having extremely high numbers of COVID cases because they're close-knit and tight and we cannot do that anymore. So we're working and I'll, I'm going to go deeper into our pillars. The, the second pillar is a cradle-to-college career pathway. Now I changed the word that I know it says pipeline in the, in the, uh, the picture. I said pathway. At the end of the day when I think pipeline I think prison uh, prison pipeline I'm sorry I don't that's not what we're trying to do we're trying to do the alternative to that work and then the last piece is community wellness and that's everything else that's the green spaces that's uh, a thriving commercial district because Woodlawn has one uh, and I'm really excited that you get to hear from uh, David Fleming uh, next week because he is doing some phenomenal work when it comes to commercial revitalization within the Woodlawn community so that is our model and these are my peeps, my team. Um, we're diverse uh, in all aspects of the word, um, from age, background, uh, degrees, whatever it is. Uh, we, a majority of us are from Birmingham, and we are committed to this work every day. And I, I don't, I, I have to acknowledge my team. And at the end of the day, they are the ones that are out doing the work, serving our communities every day, and I appreciate them for everything they do. Um, when I tell you I've got the best people doing this work with me and they're committed in so many ways. Like everybody thought, oh, COVID happened. You're not going to be able to continue the work and the impact, but they've stepped up and in so many, in so many ways and been innovative. When we talk about pivoting and innovation, that's happened within our team. And I basically, only thing I want to do is give them the tools just to go do the work and that they've basically risen to the occasion. So really excited about my team. And I asked them, I was like, so why did y'all pick Birmingham? Why did y'all stay here? And it's an overall consensus and belief that Birmingham is home. You know, even for people that are like Morgan Montiel, she's the one right next to me. Um, she's not from here, but Birmingham is home and she will never leave. 
Um, she's super excited about the work, and I cannot wait to show you some of the things that she's done. Um, talk about some innovation. So, we we're founded, uh, like going back to why Woodlawn, our role, we're a convener. We bring people together, connector. We make sure that people are knowing what other people's work are doing so they're not over, they're overlapping on each other or they're not replicate or duplicating services. That's a big piece. And then we're a capacity builder. So at the end of the day, we wanna make sure that our residents, uh, our partners, all have the tools necessary because we're all going towards a true north. And so, of course, again, following that purpose-built communities model. But I want to make sure that I bring notice to the quote. To be agents of change, we need to be proximate. I've had an opportunity to see Brian Stevenson speak many times, and he is just phenomenal. We know that for sure. But there's something about being proximate. There's a reason why we're placed in our, in our community. Our offices are there. A majority of our partners are in Woodlawn. And because you cannot do this work and be somewhere else. You have to be embedded in it every day. And it's, this is one of my favorite pictures. Um, this is my friends, Jason Avery and Alicia Levels. Living, they live in Woodlawn, and they're doing some really phenomenal things when it comes to what we call urban main initiative. So they're working with residents to figure out what are their business opportunities and how can we give them the tools necessary so they can build out businesses within their community. And instead of looking at other places, we're finding the assets that are in our communities and making sure that they're given everything that they need so they can thrive. So if you don't hear another thing, proximity, get close. I, I choose to live in Birmingham. I choose to shop in Birmingham because I believe in Birmingham. I didn't go anywhere else. I could have been anywhere else. I mean, I went to Gonzaga. I was in Spokane, Washington, y'all, like seriously. I wanted to be here because it represented something bigger. And if I, if I was gonna do this work, I needed to do it at home. So I know that you guys are looking at like, okay, how do we recruit people into our city? Do our work. We be great and show the things that we're doing here and do it well and, and people will thrive and, and, and run to what we are doing within our communities. So housing, we've done a lot. Um, when it comes to housing, a lot of people have been like, what are you guys doing there? What's going on with all the land? We get a lot of criticisms because, they're, you know, people, they get into the whole gentrification um, concept. And when we think about gentrification, we look at it as economic development is not bad. What we don't want is our residents to be displaced because of it. We want them to have the ability to thrive within their own communities and have success within their own communities. If they want to leave, let it be on their own accord, not because we price them out. So the mixed income housing strategy is built specifically for that. Uh, the first thing that we did was the Park at Wood Station and that was affordable housing. When it came down to it, the deplorable conditions that people are living in, not just in, in my community, because I call it mine, but across our city, across our state, it's ridiculous. And what we wanted to do is we, we wanted to build high quality, affordable housing. And so that's what we did first. We could have did market rate. It would have been, it would have been probably easier, but we went the affordable housing rate because we needed to make sure that the residents knew that we were listening to them and that's what they wanted first. So it's Park at Wood Station, 64 townhomes, $14 million in a community that had not had a lot of investment before. I know the YW had done some investment before, but $14 million embedded in a community that a lot of people just basically counted out. And we had 1,500 residents apply for 64 units. So that tells you the need. 
So when I'm looking at uh, Lisa McCarroll, who's working at Navigate Affordable Housing, who's and, and all these other entities, Alabama Housing Finance Authority, they are looking at ways, how do we build affordable, high quality, because that's key, high quality, affordable housing that people can afford and so they can transition themselves um, into self-sustainability. Um, the next phase was our homeowner rehab. So we could not build new and not address the residents within our community. So we, uh, it started out with a $500,000 grant um, from the state uh, with, uh, and, and we started putting investments back into the community. So, but there was, one, there was one big piece that you had to do though. One, you had to come to two workshops and then two, you had to fill out an application and make sure that you had a will um, because we wanna make sure that estate planning is happening within our communities as well. And to give you a context of where Woodlawn sits when it comes to stability, we have 30% homeowners, 70% rental. For us to make sure that our community is sustainable, we have to be building and putting effort into home ownership. Not saying that rental is bad, I'm renting currently. Trying to buy a house. Um, and at the, like we wanna make sure that if home ownership is, we wanna make sure that home ownership is not a barrier and it's an opportunity. Because a lot of people don't even know how to start there. Um, I don't know how many people have gone through that process, but it's a, it's a process. And so if you've had a community that, or, or people that have not gone through that process, it, it can seem very daunting. So we have put some, uh, some programs in place. We actually worked with the Birmingham Association of Realtors, and we have started new home ownership um, programs and classes. So it walks somebody through the process of what it is, what's credit. Um, what do you need to do as far as like getting everything lined up for your application? How much should your mortgage be? How much money should you earn? Um, so we're working in association with BAR, but when you look at historically and, and systemically what's happened, when you think about redlining, and if you guys don't know what that is, please look that up. But when you think about redlining and how realtors and banks and systems were created to block communities out, now those same partners are working with us to remedy those issues. And so we are really excited and, and look at it as an opportunity for us to put home ownership back into, in, into our community. So uh, the, the next phase was the cottages at Wood Station. So we had not built anything uh, as far as single family homes in Woodlawn in almost 30 years. 30 years. Um, so we didn't know exactly how that was gonna plan out. Um, we didn't know if people were going to come. But they did, and they sold out very quickly. And we are continuing that development, and I'll show you some pictures in a minute. Um, but we have a diverse group of families that really believed and were early adopters and wanted to be a part of this revitalization effort. But I've also told them this, you are a part of this revitalization effort. It's not built around you. We have community members that have been here doing this work for years. And so how do, it, I think one of the biggest pieces at the foundation that we've been working towards is how do we convene this new group that wants to be a part of the effort and love Woodlawn, but then also bring together this group that's been here for years. And that's been the constant piece. Um, I'm not gonna sit here and say it's, it's been easy, but it's been some of the best work that me and my team have ever done. Um, thinking about land bank properties. We own a lot of property in Woodlawn. Uh, when we talk about, we look at what happened in Eastlake, um, vacant properties in Eastlake were going for $200,000 after the revitalization effort. We decided that we were gonna buy a lot of land, and a lot of people were like, why are they buying all this land? To protect it. 
if we could build uh, and take multiple parcels and bring them together, we could look at affordable housing, we could look at single family, and we could master plan a community with the community as opposed to doing something outside of them. So when we look at the land bank, we're so happy, thank you Eric Fancher, if you're watching, um, really excited that it's here, but we were doing this process probably three or four years before it started. And an investment of almost $1.2 million went into uh, acquisition. And that's what made it possible for us to build and consolidate and make the Park at Wood Station happen, our affordable housing. But when, when we look at Land Bank, Land Bank is an opportunity for us to get a bang for our buck, make sure that we're cleaning up properties, making sure we're boarding up vacant structures, mowing the lawns. In fact, we still pay taxes on every single parcel that we own. We're nonprofit, we don't have to, but we wanna make sure that we're putting money back into the system, into our city so it can function. And so the last phase uh, that we're currently working on is the cottages uh, on Georgia Road, and I'm going to show you that. These are the cottages at Wood Station. This is the market rate. This was the park at Wood Station, sorry. And this is the newest endeavor that we have. So we are partnered with the Housing Authority Birmingham Division, and we're looking at people that have been in traditional public housing or Section 8, and we're figuring out ways to transition them into home ownership. That's the next phase. When I look at the residents at the Parkwood Station, um, I know for a fact that they've been there for three to five years, and it's a nice, it's it, it's the highest quality when it comes to um, when it comes to living in a home. But now it's time to transition them into home ownership if they want to because we know that home ownership has been the, the way and mechanism that people have built wealth, and we're trying to make sure that we're stabilizing our community and putting that access back to our residents and our community. Um, cradle to college, career education pathway. So this is the Russian Center I literally just left there. Um, they, have, they have 85 students, so that number is wrong. They have 85 students um, that they're currently serving. Um, and when we were building out the facility, it's one of the highest quality facilities, and I was actually having a conversation with Delenn Hicks, who's their director, and we were talking about, you know, COVID and how making sure children are safe, but when we, we didn't know this when we were building the space out, but we have enough space for the children to be there socially distanced and be okay. And so when we're looking at other centers and they're trying to figure out what is their plan, we were thinking about things that... I mean, God knows, like, we didn't know this was going to happen, right? But we were thinking about things and the protection and giving our students the highest quality because our children from Woodlawn go to the Russian Center. And so we're looking at different ways in which, in which we can reach out uh, to home care providers and figure out how do we give them the highest quality piece, too. Um, when we think about models, we looked at the Eastlake model. That's what made Eastlake so great. They had an early childhood education center. It was not a daycare. Highest quality. You had children reading at one and two years old. And so when you look at barriers, we wanted to make sure that we were making that students were giving all the access that they needed when it came to education, and it starts early. So we know that pre-K is a big piece. It's way before that. And that's what our center is doing and utilizing. So we, we raised $7.1 million in 2015. We're about to do another capital campaign soon. Um, and we just know that education is, the, is one of the levers as well. Um, we, do we have it right completely? No, but none of us do. Um, we look at innovation and look at partners that are doing this work across the country because we get the lens to do that. I understand that people within the city, they're worrying about different things, how children are going back, and they should. My organization gets to look at the bigger piece. 
How can we be innovative? How can we bring other organizations in? How do we build capacity within the organizations that we have here so they can actually be the best for our students? So this is where it gets real fun. So, you know, I know that charter has been a controversial thing. I don't know if it's here or not, but we are partnered with I3 Academy, which will be the first public charter that will be in Woodlawn. It will be headed up by Dr. Martin Knowles uh, and his phenomenal team. But basically taking the East Lake model, uh, which was Drew Charter School, which is the highest functioning and performing school in Atlanta and in, a, in the state. So looking at that model, looking at the different uh, mechanisms that they put in place for children to be successful, um, we are partnered with I3. We uh, took an old church um, First Baptist Woodlawn, and we have converted it into a school. Um, really excited at the opportunity. Uh, a lot of people are like, well, you know, this is political. And I'm like, you know what, I don't really get into that. Um, the residents of Woodlawn said they wanted an opportunity. It's my job to listen to that. And so when we had the ability to take an old church, uh, because they were actually getting ready to move, and it was going to be a huge fixture within our neighborhood that was boarded up and not in use, we turned it into use. So we have invested $15 million into this school uh, and we'll be starting a capital campaign uh, to finish out the rest of our funding for it. But we're really excited. They're, they're opening up in August. Um, if you guys wanna drive by, it's on 49th Street North. Um, parents are super excited. The, parent, uh, the board is comprised of mostly parents. So when we talk about involvement and investment, we're getting that information from our parents, but we're also bringing the highest quality education. But that doesn't leave out our traditional public. Um, a, lot of us, a lot of people know that we were involved in, in partnership with the Birmingham City Schools, and I am a Birmingham City School grad, Ramsey High School, class of, um, <laughs> I know, I was like, I don't know, I'm not that old yet that we say that, okay. Um, but when I think about Birmingham City Schools, I have a soft spot for it. Not because, um, I'm like, not like out of obligation, it's because I believe in our students. I look at Woodlawn High School, we had two Gates Millennial Scholars come out of that, and a lot of that was because of, they were, they're smart. If given the opportunities and the tools, I know that all of our children can succeed. And I look at Birmingham City Schools and the teachers and the administrators that are working tirelessly every day trying to figure it out. We are wanting to figure out how do we partner? What is the win-win? How do we take these innovative approaches that are happening across the country and not muddle down and take the culture away from our environment when it comes to our education system? And I'm excited to partner with Dr. Mark Sullivan. He is a Woodlawn High School grad. Um, and I know that he's going to do some pivotal work in the next few months. I know that it's an interim position, but for someone that has been there and knows our students, we're just, we're wanting to work in partnership and figure out what's the way. I can't tell you what that is, uh, but that's, that's the beauty of our role. We get to figure it out together. So um, really excited about uh, what's next for our partnerships and even the partnerships when it comes to bringing all these things together. Um, I think people have been in silos for so long and it's not a competition, because I don't look at it as a competition. If our children are winning, we all win. So I'm just, I, I'm really excited about what that looks like. And we're going to figure out a way to partner. And hopefully the next time I come here, I'll have an answer. I don't know. Um, but going to the career piece. So one of the things I talk about all the time is that we, we always say that, well, not everybody's going to go to college. 
I don't really like that statement. And the reason I don't is that I don't want to say that, well, some people might not. But if given the opportunity to go, I want them to make the choice. And unfortunately, there have been situations in which people have not, people of color, people in our communities have not been able to make the choice. And so we're looking at different ways. I'm like, what is the mechanism in which you can financially sustain your family? And, and if you want to go to college, we'll make that happen. But if you don't, what is another way for you to be financially successful? So we looked at place-based workforce, workforce development and we started doing programming within the community. Uh, we started with a certified medical assistant program, partnered with Christ Health Center. Uh, a lot of times when we're doing our work, particularly play-based, I'm looking at opportunities within the community. We have an asset there. We have Christ Health Center. We've got a behavioral health center. We've got an early learning center. We've got a, a childhood uh, dentistry. And I'm looking at all these different partners and like, what are the ways in which we can bring uh, the services into the community. A lot of times people want to send people somewhere. When we look at transportation barriers, when we look at any barrier, whether that be childcare, we need to remedy that and figure that out in partnership with our community. So we listened, proximate. We listened. We listened to what our families needed. They want to have better jobs and paying jobs. They want to be able to take care of their families with one job, not two or three. And so when we looked at certified medical assistant, child development associate, construction, IT, um, we partnered with people that one believed in, and we had like values and mindset. And when we, we started the programs, we had 100% attendance rate. Nobody didn't come. Like, they, they came. So um, when, we, when we're looking at programs, a lot of times I think we don't ask the people that we are in partnership with, and that's our residents and community what they need and then figure out those barriers and I think we've been successful with that so I'm really excited to see what happens and now COVID has made it possible so all of the barriers that we we're looking about space and childcare. okay now let's figure out how this goes virtual okay what does community Wi-Fi look like how do we break the digital divide and so now my team is looking at that you know We've been wanting to do community Wi-Fi in the community for five years. And one thing about COVID that's been really, I know y'all aren't excited about COVID because y'all want to hang out. And thank you for not inviting me to the tequila thing. That was not nice. Anyway. Um, I like tequila. Um, but when I think about digital divide and all the different things that are happening within, like we get to now remedy these problems and break systems. And I tell my team, I'm like, no, this is not bad. We've been trying to have conversations with these partners for years. I'm not going to say their names. But years, and it's not saying that they didn't want to. It's just that, oh, financially, it's not feasible. Well, now everybody needs to be virtual. What are we going to do now? And so we're, we're just really excited. Like, now we can just nerd out and do the things that we've wanted to do. So um, looking at these are kids. They're doing some great things. Um, community wellness, which is the everything else. And this was my bucket of work before I started as the executive director of the Woodlawn Foundation, but I think it's the undergird and support of everything that we do. Um, and I'm not saying that because I was leading it. it. I really do believe that community wellness is everything else. Um, our neighborhood associations are strong. Um, I was talking earlier and talk, uh, talking about like, so people are like, COVID's happening, what's the community doing? And we started convening conversations and having uh, <laughs> teleconferences with our neighborhood association presidents, figuring out Zoom, which has been fun um, for them, because you know a majority of the people that are coming to our neighborhood association meetings are like 50 and up. So them learning new technologies and trying to figure out what are the systems are in place so they can actually be a part of the conversation. But 
we were talking about food insecurity and all the things that were happening in the community and everybody was just coming together and we were working to remedy the issues and it turned out, you know, it was one point in time, I was like, okay, I've got food boxes here, we've got here, we've got this, we've got that. And then they started calling me saying, hey, we're delivering food boxes here, we're doing this, we're doing that. And it turned out that it was one of the best things that could have happened to us. Because it turned, it flipped it. This is something that we've been wanting to do for a decade. Instead of us being the person providing the service, they started providing the service to community. And it was the game changer for me. And I, and I know for a fact, and it's, it's actually coming to pass, we're looking at what are community leadership strategies that we're building up? How we, do they know what budgets are? Do they know what public-private partnerships are? How are they fixing the problems themselves? Because I don't want to be doing this work forever. I mean, I love it. God knows I do. But if we're not putting community in a position in which they can lead and serve each other, we're not doing this the right way. And we're further perpetuating the cycle. And that's not what we're trying to do. So mentioned Jones Valley Teaching Farm. Amazing programs happening there. I know I'm running out of time. Um, the Legal Help Desk, it's a pro bono service that's happening in our community. Uh, when COVID hit, uh, they shifted their in-person model. They started doing uh, teleconferences with uh, residents. So we're still dealing with wills and uh, state issues and all the things that, have hap that they actually need uh, access to. And then also they started helping people do their unemployment applications. So our community members, they never stopped. The tools were still there for them to be successful. And of course, we've got other partners. We've got Christ Health doing, serving almost, what, 40,000 people on the eastern side of town. The YWCA, which has always been there. And then Red Birmingham, which I'm not going to get into because you're going to hear from uh, David Fleming next week. He has got some really um, thoughtful things to say, and we share a wall. So I'm really excited. <laughs> really excited for you all to hear about all the things that Rev's doing. Um, thinking about innovation. So. We, we were looking at trying to figure out what is the communication tool that we can use. People were like flyers and newsletters, and I was like, mail, that's a lot. And then COVID happened, and we had already started talking about a community app. Uh, in, in fact, actually, it was used as a tool more for public safety and a way for our residents to report things to us so we can get things to our captain and, and our police department. But then it pivoted. Um, this app, and I have to tell, I have to brag on Morgan Montiel. Morgan Montiel went home one weekend, and I was like, Morgan, I, we need a tool. We need to communicate with our residents. How do we do this better? She went home 11 hours later. She created a, an app. I was like, okay, we have an app. And so now <laughs> everything from COVID response, uh, where people can get tested, um, where they can get resources, any information that's happening in the community, now we have an app. And it's really been an amazing thing for her because we, be, us being a part of a national network, we have 28 other communities that want to build out something like this. This is happening in Birmingham. We started this part here. And it's looking, and it's really crazy. And we're trying to do better about telling our story because I think that's another big piece that we don't do well in our city. We need to tell the things that we do. We are doing some crazy, amazing things here. I mean, I run the Rotary Trail every freaking day. And I promise to God, like, that's, a, that's an amazing piece. Like, that's one side. But we just want to make sure that we're doing a better job of telling our story. So the app is, is, is online. If you want to be a part of our community, text Woodlawn, plug. Um, Jones Valley, I'm going to go through these pictures pretty quickly because I want to get to questions. <sighs> Ooh, sorry. 
Bales, he's doing stuff. Cycle Cafe, I know y'all been there. Of course, the mural. How many, how many of y'all have a picture in front of our mural? A million, I know, it's fine. I do too. So okay, looking forward, um, our vision is very clear. We have to give our community members the tools. If we don't give them the tools necessary to, to be a part of this revitalization and lead this revitalization, we're not doing this work well. So COVID-19, we pivoted as well. Um, we're looking at how do we put our residents in, in potential to have leadership opportunities, not just within the community, but across our city and state, um, and let their voices be heard. Um, when I think about, so I sit on the planning commission as well, and I think about all the things that are happening in, with land usage and how things affect our communities, and we're not there. And then we get mad at the, the latter part of it because a decision was made and they thought that it was without them. But if we don't know when things are happening across our city, how can we enact the change that we want to have? So, and that's just one example. But COVID-19, we're pivoting. We're going virtual when it comes to our, um, some of our offerings. We're looking at community Wi-Fi, addressing public safety, looking at other housing um, capabilities. So additional phases of mixed income housing, um, expansion of our workforce program, urban Maine, uh, which you will hear a lot about when it comes to Rev. I'm not gonna go into that. It's hard because it's awesome. Um, the continuation of our Family Success Center. So next to our Early Learning Center, we have a 12,000 square foot facility. And I'm really excited because I literally just left a meeting um, having discussions about what would that look like to build out by hopefully the end of the year. Um, but we're just really, we're positioned to do work in a way and tell the Birmingham story and do it well within Woodlawn. But our ultimate goal, not only for our residents to be successful, to pass this information along. The technical assistance piece, Woodlawn is, a, is, is one of 23 communities. And Birmingham, we, we, Woodlawn is not Birmingham. We are a part of Birmingham. And we want to be making sure that we're giving tools to the other communities that are around us and giving them the ability to actually be a part and lead their own uh, revitalization efforts. So I'm done. Does anybody have any questions? <laughs> Oh yeah. Um, so when I think at neighborhood leadership program, like everybody has a skill or talent. So I know that I'm going to be looking for people and I'm particularly uh, wanting young people to be a part of this conversation and narrative, like how we're leading and teaching other people to lead to so building skills. Um, Yes, I think it's great that we do neighborhood cleanups, that's fine, but we need to go deeper. We need to be building capacity uh, within our community so they can serve themselves. And I know I keep saying that again and again and again, but I'm not into Band-Aids anymore. We get the opportunity to fix systemic issues, and I'm excited. People think I'm like, yo, why are you so happy about this? I'm like, because finally the world is watching. You know, for the first time ever, we all are having to be at home and pay attention to the issues that are happening in our communities. COVID leveled, it leveled the playing field. And so if you wanna be involved, I think it's time taking your talents and bringing that back into communities. If you don't live in Birmingham, come back into city limits um, and put your efforts in, and build roots here. So any other questions?
Oh man. Okay. I have a question for you. Yes. Uh, I just was wondering, like, what you, how you feel policy plays into a lot how of big? this. I mean, huge, right? But mm -hmm. I don't know. Is there specific areas that you, your team focuses on in terms of policy change? Oh, absolutely. So because we are a 501c3, when it comes to like advocacy work and policy stuff, we can't get super deep into that, but we can uh, partner with other organizations that are, of course, promoting our agenda. So when we think about, um, f first example, when we think about mixed income housing, um, when we did the Park at Wood Station, uh, we wanted to do a mixed income unit or units. Um, state legislation made it so we couldn't do that at the same time. We couldn't put, it, it was the hardest thing to get those deals and money to, over, to overlap. So we had to do the Park at Wood Station, which is affordable. We had to do market over here, and then we were doing median over here. And it would have been interesting to see what that would have looked like if we had a structure um, that was in the same units. Um, so that's one piece when we look at education. I mean, it's everything. I, I know the work that I'm doing on the ground. It's, it's almost like the white paper to get to the information to the policy changes that we need to have. And so we need to be putting our, our leadership not only just locally, but statewide and nationally and telling them like, no, this is not working. Concentrated poverty is not working. And I know that the housing authority, uh, the local Birmingham division and other uh, housing authorities across the country um, they're making sure that they're breaking those concentrations up. But what does it look like where we're training people and giving people the tools so they can actually be self-sufficient? Mm -hmm. And so, yes, policy is a big piece. Um, I, like I said, I have, I have my personal beliefs in that, and, and I have to ride a, a very fine line. But we're in partnership with organizations that can help with that. Awesome. Uh, what, was the, what was the number of texts? Oh, hold on. You better be involved. <laughs> Wait a minute. I will give that to you. And, and it gets all the alerts. I'm going to get back to it. I got a lot of pictures. Bam. I have a question. Yeah. Um, how involved are you all in transportation? Uh, Ooh. That. So I didn't talk about BRT because it's still like a thing that we're working on. Uh, Woodlawn will be a super hub, actually. We will have a super stop in Woodlawn. It will be on the corner. Uh, it's, a, it's a square block um, right in front of Woodlawn High School. And we're working out what that looks like when it comes to transit or development. So there could be some other housing options that will be there um, and mixed use. So whether that be another restaurant or clothing stores, whatever that is. Um, but we're working with the city of Birmingham and the BJCTA to work on that. Um, but that's, that's something, that, I forgot to put that there. Thank you. Um, it's, a, it's a huge process and it's, it's taking a lot of time. I think we, so the World Games, we were like, okay, it's not going to be ready for the World Games, but it might. I don't know. So we got an extra so, year. <laughs> so, but yes, we're heavily involved in that. Um, and then looking at, okay, so if we're going to have a super stop here, how does it maintain and stay true to the character of the neighborhood? Um, is it accessible? Do our residents have a say-so as what, how it's developed and what it looks like? So we're definitely at the table when it comes to that. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Mashonda, thank you again for joining us today. Uh, it is tradition that for every speaker we have at a luncheon, our club makes a contribution to our second signature service project, ready to succeed in your honor. We would like to present you with this certificate, marking that donation, and also present you with a copy of our annual report.
A few final reminders, uh, join us July 18th or July 25th to serve with the Southern Environmental Center. Uh, July 20th will be our social at the Safe Room Lounge Bar at 5.30. July 23rd is our luncheon with David Fleming of Red Birmingham. And don't forget to check in with us on Slack to mark your attendance. And this is for people who also are watching uh, on Facebook Live. Um, thanks, uh, and also, final reminder is to check out the workout channel uh, in Slack for this week's weekly workout challenge. We will be sending out our committee survey this week so you can find your best fit in helping this phenomenal organization tick. And we'll be posting that link in Slack and sending out a special email with that link. And you can contact me, Caitlin Birchfield, or any of our board members with, that, with questions about that. Uh, and with that, we are adjourned. Thank you.